Testing one, two. Okay, good. That's working. <laughs> Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy holy name. Father, we come before you, thanking you and praising you for your love towards us and sending Jesus uh, to, uh, to save us from our sins. Father, to show us the righteous way to live and uh, to fill our hearts with love. And we come to the cross, Lord, and we pray forgiveness for our sins, for we know that it's our sins that hammered the nails through His flesh. And we pray, Lord, that You forgive us. We thank You, Lord, for Jesus. We thank You that He was willing to do that. And we thank Jesus for that and for Your love. Uh, we thank You, Lord, for this Holy Sabbath day that we can rest from our labors, that we can come together and uh, put our... Uh, physical battles and spiritual battles away for a day and rest in Christ and rest in the presence of heaven. We pray, Lord, for the Holy Spirit to give us that rest uh, today that you've promised. As we uh, uh, speak to you in, in prayer, we lift up those who uh, are on our prayer lists. Uh, Lord, there are people who are hurting, people who are injured and ill. We pray that you will be very near to them, especially be with our families, Lord. Help us to be a shining light to those members around us and to love them as Jesus loves us. We pray, Lord, for your continued blessings upon this congregation as we have the potential of having a our church building. We pray that you will continue to bless in that regard and, and to motivate commitment and, Lord, the people to... Uh, be a part of the, the very work uh, in uh, spreading the gospel and having a presence wherever they may be. And Lord, I pray that you will be with me as I bring uh, the message this morning. I humbly ask, Lord, that uh, it will be your words, not my own. A very important subject in this series, defining your, your people, defining the church. We need to understand some simple principles, and the Lord help me to convey it to the flock. I thank you so much, again, for Jesus and the wonderful blessings of the Sabbath and the wonderful blessings of your love. And I thank you, Lord, for hearing this prayer as we ask it in Jesus' name, who's worthy. Amen. Well, last week, as I said um, this morning, we had uh, we couldn't broadcast because we didn't have internet. Uh, a giant uh, fiber optic cable had been cut. We were out of service ourselves here for eight days, and uh, others had it the, the very next day. Um, two days later, our the neighbors, two of our neighbors, had theirs restored. So I don't know what took eight days for us, but we praise the Lord that we're back and able to broadcast and speak to each one of you. So I welcome you here. Uh, we're continuing in a series uh, that I've entitled, This Is My Body. It's Defining God's Church. And this particular uh, message I have uh, entitled, A Part of His Nature. A Part of His Nature. Uh, and hopefully here very soon I'll be able to have uh, the audio page on the website completely updated uh, with the recent ones, and I have to work backwards 
as uh, when we shut down our church server, that uh, company erased uh, everything on our hard drives for some reason. And I know the devil was in the works because we had uh, dozens of audios uh, on the hard drive. And so I have to go back to the originals and do that all over again. So um, I apologize for that. Uh, but uh, um, we'll have this up as soon as we can. Uh, a part of his nature. The word church is used with more than one definition and application throughout the scriptures and, and even in the testimonies in the spirit of prophecy. And a, a misunderstanding of one can cause confusion with all others. You know, we too often, um, I have found anyway, we, we too often place our own definition upon certain words. Have you ever found that to be the case? We'll put our own definition on certain words, and when we hear someone use that particular word, uh, uh, we will use our definition for that word and come to our own conclusion upon what the speaker may be saying. And this is good if uh, the speaker has the same definition of the word that we do, which is usually the case, you know. It's usually the case, but sometimes it isn't. And I'll tell you um, that many times, especially when trying to define God's church, there are multiple definitions being used by speakers and listeners, and wrong conclusions are the result. Remember that all such confusion originates with Satan. He is the author of it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. So God is not the author of the confusion. The devil is. And uh, uh, we want to know what God has to say and how God defines it. That's what this series is all about. And as I have said before to you, in this great controversy between Christ and Satan, there are only two sides. Have you ever heard me say there's only two spirits in the world? There's the spirit of Christ and there's the spirit of Antichrist. You see, there are only two churches. Though the word church, now don't misunderstand me here, friends, the word church has been used to mean different things like people, buildings, denominations, organizations, etc. You see, it's been used that way and, and is used that way. But the Bible defines only two current churches. Let me say it again. The Bible defines only two current churches. First, it defines God's church. And in our time, it is currently referred to as the church militant, which is made up of both faithful souls and unfaithful souls. And those unfaithful souls in the church are often referred to, or at times referred to, say, by uh, tares, the word tares, or foolish virgins, or Laodiceans. But God's current church, the church militant, is not made up of open sinners. Okay? Now, very interesting. The second church is Satan's church. 
sometimes referred to as the synagogue of Satan. Today it's known as Babylon Fallen. And it is made up of faithful souls and unfaithful souls and open sinners. Okay? This is why the call in our message, the three angels' messages, is a call to come out of Babylon. Jesus is calling his faithful souls out of Satan's church, Babylon. You see? And any church, doesn't matter uh, um, any group of people, you know, like I said, the, the church word church has been used to mean different things, like people and buildings and denominations and organizations. All of those will fall within one of these two. They're either going to be a part of God's church or they're going to be a part of Satan's church. And like I said, all other definitions of the word church, even a building, because that building either belongs to God or to Satan, <laughs> will fall under one of these two. Sometimes God's church families on earth are organized and sometimes they are scattered. Sometimes both, depending upon where they are in the world. We can be organized here, but in Asia they may be disorganized. See what I'm saying? God's family in heaven is completely organized, but His families here, not so well. Okay? But friends, there are only two churches in all creation. Only two, and they are at war, as Revelation 12 tells us. Now remember, uh, and if you, if you can understand this, this is a really simple principle. If you can understand it, it can clarify a lot of misconceptions. Okay? Now when Paul speaks about, let me give you an example. When Paul speaks about, let's say, the church at Antioch, he is speaking about a family of God at Antioch who are members of the one church of God. Does that make sense? If we understand this, we can begin to clear away the confusion between the symbol and the reality. Remember when I talked about that? The symbol and the reality. And we will understand that an organization is just that. An organized body to do service, and it is not of itself God. That's where they blurred the lines the Jews did, and that's what happened to them. Um, they blurred, uh, the, the symbol actually became the God, became God to them. It wasn't the reality. And it's also, it also happened to apostolic church. It's, it happened to the Protestants. It's even uh, uh, widespread, sad to say, very much sad to say, throughout Adventism. The name, heritage, organization, denomination has become the one and only, quote, church of God, whether God is there or not. You see? The symbol has become the reality to them. It has become God to, to them. And I'll tell you this, and I'll assure you of this, because God has promised it. <laughs> when the conflict is completed between Christ and Antichrist, there will only be one church again. God's victorious church, made up of all the faithful throughout all creation. Amen? Now, for as for the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists or any other religious organization or people or denomination calling itself Christian, the only question concerning them, my friends, is whether they qualify as members of the church militant 
or the fallen church called Babylon, for there are no others, friends. That's either one or the other. You're a branch from one of those trees. As we've learned so far, there's only one spiritual body of believers. Therefore, one church of God. But there are many families, see, and this is what I want to get, uh, maybe get, to, uh, uh, get through, is that there are many families that make up that one body scattered throughout the world, and they may be organized to some degree or not at this time. Mostly we're not organized, but before uh, the end comes, my friends, we will be. In fact, we must be. Um, all the faithful families that make up the body share the same nature as they are all a part of His nature. Again, I said all the faithful families. <laughs> they share the same nature as God. In Ephesians chapter 4 Verses 4 to 6, Paul tells us, There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. So you see here expressed, one body and one spirit. See, that woos and calls us to come into that one body through repentance, confession, repentance, being born again, etc. That's the Holy Spirit. Then there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You, you're baptized in the name of Jesus. You're baptized into the body. One Lord, one faith. Not several faiths. So Christian ministers today say there are many ways to heaven. No, there isn't. You may be drawn in different ways, but there's one way. One faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So we see here, what Paul's expressing is that there is one body. And by the way, this is actually a very good scripture to use in defining the Godhead too, because you see this, the Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father. Uh, but we see that there's one body. And according to uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus is the head of the body. He directs the body. He's in control of the body. He's the head of the body. Now you go back a few chapters there in Ephesians, back to the first chapter, verse 22 to 23, Paul says, And hath put all things under his feet, speaking of Christ, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, now get this, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. That filleth all in all. Does this phrase, all in all, let me ask you this. Does this phrase, all in all, refer to merely this world? In Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 24, it says, Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? The Lord fills heaven and earth. Right? And the church is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. So, you could say, friends, that it is the biggest thing in the universe, not only in this world, but also in heaven. 
So like I'm saying, uh, beloved, there's only one church of God. This is why Paul says there's only one body. There's only one church of God. Members are from all creation, whether in this world or in heaven. And then we get a little bit more defined here. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20, it's very familiar to us. He says, where two or three are gathered together in my name. Remember we talked about what it means to be in his name uh, a few Sabbaths ago. He says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So wherever people gather together in the name of Jesus, he's saying there he presides. And the prophet tells us in the book Upward Look, page 315, it actually goes a bit further in explaining this. She says there on page 315, where Christ is, she says, even among the humble few, this is Christ's church. Now let that sink in. Wherever, where Christ is, she says, where Christ is, even among the humble few, this is Christ's church. For the presence of the high and holy one who inhabiteth eternity can alone constitute a church. And friends, we will, uh, we talked about the last time about a spiritual uh, church. Um, it's not talking here about Jesus physically, wherever he is physically. There is his church. I mean, when he walked here on this earth, wherever he went, um, sometimes he was surrounded by the enemy. So, as we, we found in the expression, in his name, gathered together in my name, he says, that's the clarifier there. But where Christ is, even among the humble few, this is Christ's church. Gathering together in his name, friends, means to have Jesus in our heart and mind. His name. Uh, if you read in Revelation 14 there, the first five verses, it talks about uh, they have His name written in the forehead. That means His character is written in our mind. His character traits, friends, is developed within us. As he writes His laws within our members, within our hearts and in our minds as part of the new covenant. He says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. His character traits will be seen in those who do His work and live His life in the same type of, of fallen body uh, that He had. This is why His church is described in Revelation 14.12 as a body that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Let me share this with you from uh, Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 250. By his obedience to all the commandments of God, Christ wrought out a redemption for men. This was not done by going out of himself to another, but by taking humanity into himself. Thus Christ gave to humanity an existence out of himself. To bring humanity into Christ, to bring the fallen race into oneness with divinity, is the work of redemption. Notice this, she says, Christ took human nature that men might be one with Him 
as He is one with the Father, that God may love man as He loves His only begotten Son, that men may be, be partakers of the divine nature and be complete in Him. Amen and amen. Christ took human nature that we might be one with Him as He is one with the Father. Now, understanding this, I think it's safe to say that the greatest characteristic of the church, when we're defining the church, is that it has the nature of Christ, not the nature of Antichrist. It is made up of those who are each a combination of humanity and divinity. Now there will also be tares, but they profess. See, we can't read the heart. See, They profess to be followers of Christ. And they may do all the outward works, but it's motivated by selfishness at the heart. So the true church will have the nature of Christ. Because see, if they, if they were open sinners, they would be removed <laughs> from God's church. In John 3 and verse 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, He said, except a man be born again, right, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now let's think about that for just a moment. To be born again means we must be born different than we were the first time. Right? Because we can't, as Nicodemus said, can I go back into my mother's womb? Well, of course not. It's talking about something different here. We have to be born different. And so Jesus explained it to Nicodemus. He explained the meaning to him that humanity must be born again of the Spirit, becoming humanity and divinity combined like as He is. See? Now how is this done? Well, it's supernaturally done, but with our full consent and participation. That's necessary. Peter gives us some insight on how that's done. 1 Peter chapter 1, and in particular verse 4. Peter says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. All the scriptures that we have, the testimonies that we have, we find within them promises from God. Precious promises, he describes in that. Great promises. Precious promises. And then he tells us that by these, these great and these precious promises that God has given us, we might be partakers of the divine nature. He says, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So Peter says that as we claim and as we act upon the great and precious promises of God, by faith and trust in Him, we will be changed into a spiritual creature. We will be recreated step by step into the image of Christ, who is humanity and divinity combined for all eternity. We become, friends, step by step, more and more like Jesus in character. And when Jesus returns, we will be changed into His likeness physically. Humanity and divinity 
combined to live eternally as a member of His church, the only church, for all eternity. Here's another statement from Manuscript Release. Manuscript Release 10, page 292. It says, Human beings, by uniting their weakness to the divine nature of Christ. And how do you do that? By claiming and acting upon those great and precious promises. Now you've got to study your Bible to know what those great and precious promises are in order to act upon them by faith. But she says human beings, by uniting their weakness to the divine nature of Christ, may become partakers of His character. Praise God. And so, friends, what I'm telling you is, wherever Jesus is, there is His church, right? Where Christ is, even among the humble few, this is Christ's church. When we partake of the divine nature of Christ, we become a member of His body. Thus, a character trait of the church is that it has His nature. You understand? Jesus described this relationship in John chapter 15. Beginning with verse 4, He said, Abide in Me, and I in you. Now again, how do you abide in Christ? John chapter 15, beginning with verse 4. How do you abide in Christ? Again, you refer back to what Peter said. We have great and precious promises. So we claim, we act upon Him, we pray, we have a, a prayer life. We serve others, etc. There are a number of ways. This is what these promises lead us into. This is how we abide in Christ. And He says, Abide in Me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in Me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do what? Nothing, Nothing he says. Now, that means nothing righteous. <laughs> See? If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. And this is what happens to the tares, is it not? They're bundled for the fire. Verse 7, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. In other words, so shall ye be members of my body, members of the church. Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 251. The Holy Spirit, which proceeds from the only begotten Son of God, binds the human agent, body, soul, and spirit to the perfect divine human nature of Christ. Did you catch that? Who is it that binds us to the divine human nature of Christ? Who is it that binds our body, soul, and spirit to Christ? It's the Holy Spirit. He's the binder. We go to those precious promises. The Holy Spirit motivates us, gives us energy, courage to act upon them, to stand for what's right. 
to do righteous acts, and that binds us, is the binding agent to Christ. This goes back to what Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, see, unless you have the Holy Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Because if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not going to have Christ, you're not going to be bound to Christ. He's not going to be abiding in you. She says, This union is represented by the union of the vine and the branches. Finite mind is united to the manhood of Christ. Through faith, human nature is assimilated with Christ's nature. Through what? Christ. Through faith, she says. Through faith. That's how you act and uh, claim and act upon those promises that God has given. By faith. You trust them. You trust God. Now let me tell you something, friends. From my own experience, when you act upon those promises of God, you find that God is trustworthy. Your faith and trust in Him increases. And as she says here, through faith, human nature is assimilated with Christ's nature. We are made one with God in Christ. And as a result of that, you'll find that as a part of, uh, of Christ's nature, being a part of Christ's nature will produce good fruit. So His church will be producing good fruit for it is connected to the vine. You see? It's a part of His nature. Matthew chapter 7, verse 16 We'll read verse 16 to 20 here. Ye shall know them by their fruits, Jesus said. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. I want you also to notice, there isn't a third tree or a fourth tree or a fifth tree or 12 dozen trees. There's a good tree and there's a bad tree. You see that? We're talking about two churches, right? Jesus says, verse 18, He says, A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. There's that reference again. The dead branches are cut off, thrown into the fire. The tares are bundled, thrown into the fire. They profess to be a part of the good tree. Right? Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Well, what are these fruits? Paul goes into detail in Galatians. Galatians 5, verse 22, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, and peace, and long-suffering, and gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Because that, my friends, is a description of the character of Christ. <laughs> and when you partake of His nature, you are keeping the law. That's why 
Paul says, against such there is no law. He says, and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. They've been born again. They that are Christ's have been born again. And in their walk, they are crucifying the flesh and the affections of the lust each and every day. That's why Paul says, I die daily. That man is put to death daily. Those affections, those lusts, those fleshly carnal tendencies. He says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let me tell you something, friends. The church that wars against those who are crucifying the flesh with the affections and lusts is the church of Antichrist. (laughs) The Antichrist church is made up of those who have the nature of their father. And their father is the devil. Jesus said in John 8, verse 44, He said, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. So like their father, they believe that you cannot overcome sin because as they say, friends, they were born sinners. And so they believe and teach that they will always sin. And in doing so, they deny the humanity and divinity of Christ and that they have no need for a Savior to save them from their sins. Any church organization, denomination, or people that allows and encourages the sins of the flesh is not the church of Christ, but it is the church of Antichrist. You see, they're satisfied to be saved in their sins and not from their sins. They have the nature of their father, as Jesus said there. The devil, for they live in his name and not in the name of Jesus. Now they may carry around the ark, but the law of God is not in their heart. But the church of God has the nature of Christ, for the body is being saved from their sins and not in them. As it's written by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. This says that God treated Jesus as if He were a sinner, which He was not. The truths, this this is just a remarkable verse, friends. The truths stated in this verse are among the most profound, I believe, and significant in all the Bible. This, this verse, in fact, it sums up the plan of salvation, <laughs> declaring the absolute sinlessness of Christ, the, the vicarious nature of His sacrifice, and man's freedom from sin through Him. That's what it does. That one verse. So we read in the book Desire of Ages, page 25, Christ was treated as we deserve that we might be treated as He deserves. He was condemned for our sins, in which He had no share, that we might be justified by His righteousness, in which we had no share. He suffered the death which was ours, that we might receive the life which was His. 
in John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. One way, friends. Christ is the way. That's why he said, I am the way. Mohammed's not the way. Buddha's not the way. Billy Graham's not the way. Joel Osteen's not the way. Pastor Joel's not the way. Jesus is the way. Christ is the way from earth to heaven. And by His humanity, friends, He touches this earth. And by His divinity, He touches heaven. He's the latter, remember? Connecting earth and heaven. And because of His incarnation and death, a new and living way has been consecrated for us, Paul says in Hebrews 10. There is no other means of salvation other than the way of Christ. The Bible's very plain about it. There's no room for, for uh, uh, confusion here. I need to be moving on. Acts chapter 4, verses 10 to 12. Makes it, makes it very plain. Be it known unto you all, and to all people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This was Peter speaking. This is the stone, speaking of Christ, which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other name, friends. There is no other character. There is no other nature that can save us than to have the nature of Christ. And the only way to get to heaven is to be a faithful member of the body that has His name, His nature, and there is only one. Many organizations today, referred to as churches, have the name of Christ, but those same churches do not have His nature. They are as the women Isaiah speaks of in chapter 4 and verse 1. Symbols of churches, women are in prophecy. He says, And in that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread, wear our own apparel, that's our own righteousness, we'll eat our own truths, that's own bread. We'll wear our own apparel. That's our own righteousness. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. So even though called by the name of Christ, they don't share his nature. They're not a branch to the vine. And they are in actuality independent of the head, which makes them independent of the body, which places them in the church of Antichrist. You cannot be independent of Christ and get to heaven. The only way is through Christ. And if you personally have the nature of Christ, you are a member of His body. Don't get me wrong. You do not become God. <laughs> but you become a member of the family of God. The faithful body will lead others to Christ as well, who is the way. Christ said of His church in Matthew 5, verse 14, He said, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. See, Jesus said He is the way. Jesus also said He is the truth. 
In John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word was made flesh, that's Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So no one can be a member of the body of Christ unless they become a part of the truth, which is to become a part of Christ's nature. See? Not just knowing the truth will change you, friends. You've got to know the truth, but not just knowing the truth will change you, but letting the truth sanctify the life through the binding agent of the Holy Spirit that we read about earlier. You see, many people know about Jesus that are not being saved by Jesus every day. In Ephesians 5, verse 23, Paul said, Christ is the head of the church and He is the Savior of the body. See? And 1 Timothy 3.15 tells us that the body of Christ, His church, will have the truth as its foundation. When He says, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, Jesus is the truth. So the church will be a part of His nature. You see? From the Great Controversy, page 595. God will have a people upon the earth to maintain the Bible and the Bible only as the standard of all doctrines and the basis of all reforms. The opinions of learned men, the deductions of science, the creeds or decisions of ecclesiastical councils, as numerous and discordant as are the churches which they represent, the voice of the majority... Not one or all of these should be regarded as evidence for or against any point of religious faith. Did you hear that? Before accepting any doctrine or precept, we should demand a plain, thus saith the Lord, in its support. Friends, a plain, thus saith the Lord. You run into fanatics that will come in and they'll give you page after page after page after page of supposed support and they'll run you through. You remember the, the little cartoon, The Family Circus? And it always shows the kids. It has the dotted line everywhere he's gone. He's supposed to go like out to the mailbox and he goes through the backyard. and everything. That's what fanatics do. They take you everywhere and around and you don't know where you're going. That's not a plane, thus saith the Lord, friend. John 17 and verse 17 said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So Jesus is the head of the body and he's also the word made flesh. And the word is truth and as the body follows the head, it will follow the truth as found in the word. <laughs> you see? And a church that holds to false doctrines as uh, 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 revealed by that word and holds to the traditions of men over that word is not a member of the body of Christ, but is a member of Antichrist. It's a member of the other church. And see, when you live the truth, you, you, be, you are alive, see, in Christ. So the church of Christ will be a vibrant, living organization because it has the eternal life giver as its head. It will not be a listless, dead body. Jesus said that He is life. Jesus is the life. The Savior of all who seek Him and find Him will have life, eternal life. In John 10 and verse 10, Jesus said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's the other church. 
I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's God's church. And the church of Christ will have His nature for He is the head. It will be divinity and humanity combined. This will be teaching overcoming sin. The only way one can be saved. Overcoming sin through Christ. It will have the fruit of the Spirit and, and reproduce this fruit. It will lead the way to the head, which is Jesus. It will have the truth of Christ, who is the cornerstone of that, the church. The living word is its foundation. Error will be exposed and expelled from the body. It will not be reasoned with, sympathized, and excused. And his church will be a vibrant living body of believers. Now, of course, it's still the church militant. There will be tares or Laodiceans or foolish virgins. And as we studied before, his church is a spiritual house built by Christ himself. Christ being, this, being spiritual, well, the body will be also. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, verse 19, I want to get moving here. So I'm going to move a little bit quickly here, friends. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Paul says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Built upon Jesus. He's the head, see. Jesus said in... If Jesus is the head, he's not going to build a body that's not his. I mean, doesn't that make sense? He's not Frankenstein. He's Jesus. Jesus said in John 4, verse 23, he said, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. That is, friends, in all sincerity, with the highest faculties of our mind and our emotions, by applying the principles of truth to our heart, just as Peter said, taking those great and precious promises, applying them to our life. This is genuine worship, Jesus says. And all else is false. Remember, anywhere that God presides is holy, and God is spirit. Anywhere that God presides is a spiritual house, is His church. And His people will be filled with the spirit of truth and worship the true God. Now here's something that, here's an example I'm going to get to, but it's also a, a character trait in defining the body of Christ. If you look at the very first verse of Matthew 1, Matthew 1 and verse 1, it reads, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now sometimes people wonder, well, why is that even in there? Well, we have to understand the, the genealogy of Jesus to fulfill certain prophecies, right? But we see here that Jesus was a, a seed of Abraham. And so his church is of the seed of Abraham too. Ah, what's Pastor Joel saying here? <laughs> what do I mean by that? Let's look at uh, Scripture reading for today, Galatians 3. 
Only we're going to go from verse 26 to 29. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Look at verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Why does this matter? Well, God made a covenant with Abraham. And the seed of Abraham to keep the covenant that, that was made. You understand what I'm saying? God made a covenant with Abraham and the seed of Abraham keep the covenant that was made. Genesis 26. Let's go back. Genesis 26, verse 4. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Abraham was faithful, and that was regarded as righteousness with God. Abraham kept the covenant, his agreement with God, and God's keeping his agreement with Abraham. Just as Paul says in Romans 4 and verse 3, he says, For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And by the way, the outward sign of the covenant made with Abraham was circumcision. <laughs> right? This was a symbol, though, see? This was a symbol of the inward cutting away of sin, overcoming sin through the power of God by partaking of His divine nature. People think that the Old Covenant, you had to work to, to have salvation. No, you were saved by faith just as you are today, friends. And Abraham proved it. Abraham believed God. It was counted unto him for righteousness. But the outward sign of the covenant made with Abraham was circumcision. And Paul says in Colossians 2.11, he says, In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Christ comes in and he's not cutting the flesh away. He's cutting the sins away from our character, you see. Circumcision was an outward symbol of an inward experience. And I want to ask you a pivotal question about this. I want you to consider this. What if you only had the outward symbol? What if you only had the outward symbol? You'd been circumcised, but you did not have the inward spiritual experience that it represented. Considering that, were you really a part of the seed of Abraham? Were you a member of God's church? The Bible says that Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all that were born in his house and had them circumcised. You can read that in Genesis 17. Ishmael had the outward experience of circumcision. So let me ask you this. Was he part of Abraham's seed? He was according to the flesh, wasn't he? 
But was he part of the spiritual seed? No. Abraham asked if Ishmael could be uh, um, part of the seed, and God said that he was going to establish his covenant with the son of Sarah. Genesis 17, 21. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. So, Ishmael was not a part of the church of Christ because he didn't have the inward experience that circumcision represents, see? Ishmael was of the Antichrist church, friends, for he followed the inclinations of the flesh and not the spirit. So when you give your allegiance to God and you choose to serve Him, keep His laws, and put away sin, then you become part of God's chosen people, His body. You become part of His church. You will keep the covenant just as Abraham did you see, inwardly. Abraham obeyed the voice of God and kept his commandments. His spiritual descendants also obey the voice of God and keep his commandments. And Jesus, a descendant of Abraham, said in John 15 and verse 10, he said, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. In the SDA Bible Commentary, Volume 7, page 949, Ellen White wrote this. She said, Those who keep God's commandments, those who live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God, compose the church of the living God. She says, Those who keep God's commandments compose the church of the living God. Any church organization, friends, any people, denomination, etc., that is willingly breaking, friends, just one of God's commandments is not the church of God. Now, don't get me wrong, God winks at ignorance, but when a church has been shown the truth and foregoes repentance, it has left the fold of God and become a member of the church of Antichrist, Babylon, fallen. Because the Bible tells us that the body of Christ will be made up of law keepers. Now, that's not talking about failing every once in a while because we have an advocate with the Father. As John says in 1 John 3 and verse 7, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. And this is from, from a book entitled Councils on Diet and Food, page 44. Get the principles here because it pervades all of our life, even uh, health. She says, It is just as much sin to violate the laws of our being as to break one of the Ten Commandments. For we cannot do either without breaking God's law. We cannot love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and strength while we are loving our appetites, our tastes, a great deal better than we love the Lord. We are daily lessening our strength to glorify God when He requires all our strength, all our mind. By our wrong habits, we are lessening our hold on life and yet professing to be Christ's followers, preparing for the finishing touch of immortality. You see, when you give yourself to Christ, He asks for all of you. Not just your religious side. <laughs> see? And we know Revelation 14, 12. It speaks of the remnant of the seed when it says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. 
And we're very familiar with John 14, 15. Jesus said, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. Jesus was a commandment keeper, friends, and his church will do as he did. And you cannot possibly be a commandment keeper unless you have faith in God. And you cannot have faith in God unless he's worthy of it. The Bible tells us that he is. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 9 says, God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 3 says, But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. There's a promise, friends. Hebrews 10.23, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Hebrews 12.2, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's the author and finisher of our faith, friends. He earns our trust. You see, we don't follow blindly. It's not a blind faith. We have a living faith because he has proven himself worthy of our trust. And the body trusts the head and follows him by faith. As we read in Galatians 3.26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And so it starts to make some sense when you read things like Acts of the Apostles, page 11. From the beginning, faithful souls have constituted the church on earth. Now, we'll get in later on about proper gospel order and organization. Some people get them confused, just like the Jews did, and think the organization is the church. But the church is to be organized, friends, for service. Another part of the nature of Christ that will be predominantly found in the church sounds simple, but it's love. In John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When we read that, God so loved the world that He gave. Let's <laughs> see. He gave the body the greatest gift that could ever be given, pure love. 1 John 4.8, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. John 13, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, but he clarifies it, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Friends, if a church is void of love, you better step back and take a closer look. Or is that step forward and take a closer look? <laughs> you better take a closer look regardless. Because if a church does not have the love of God, is God really there? Jesus says that we are to love one another as He has loved us. We're to love one another. Verse 35, He said, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. Agape. Esteeming others better than ourselves. And they tell you, love was one of the principal attributes of Jesus. And Jesus' life had, had been a practical demonstration of love and action. Isn't that true? 
A manifestation of this same kind of love by the disciples of Jesus would give evidence of their relationship and close association with their master. It is love rather than profession, friends, that marks the true Christian. God is love, and those who have Christ abiding in them will have His nature of love as well. And I'll tell you, with love comes unity. And seeing then, friends, I'll tell you straight, seeing then that we are in disunity as a people, what does that tell us? Are we a member of the body of Christ? With love comes unity in the Spirit, and this will be exemplified in His church. One last quote I'll share. Manuscript Release 5, page 371. When you as individual members of the church love God supremely and your neighbor as yourself, then there will be no labored efforts to be in unity. There will be a oneness in Christ. The ears to report will be closed, and no one will take up a reproach against his neighbor. The members of the church will cherish love and unity and be as one great family. Then we shall bear the credentials to the world that will testify that God has sent His Son into the world. Christ has said, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. The nature of the body will be as the nature of the head, friends. And what I've done... Right now, I've given ten, really, ten aspects of the nature of the body of Christ, His church. There are more, I'm sure, but these are the most, I believe, prominent characteristics that you'll find in Scripture. Here are the ten, real quick. The church, number one, will have the nature of Christ. It'll be humanity and divinity combined to be made up of born-again believers. Now, of course, it's the church militant, it will have wheat, it will, it's combined to wheat and the tares. We're talking about God's church. The wheat and the tares are together in an organization. Number two, it'll bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Three, it'll be a light that leads the way to the head, which is Christ. Four, it'll stand upon the foundation of truth. Five, it'll be vibrant and living as Christ is the life giver. Six, it'll be a spiritual house because Christ is the head. Seven, it'll be of the seed of Abraham, which means covenant keeping. And by the way, the Sabbath is a sign, isn't it? We'll get into that a little bit more later. Number eight, it'll keep the law of God, be commandment keeping. And nine, it'll have the faith of Jesus. It'll be faithful. It'll be made up of those who overcome by His faith. And ten, it will have love and be unified. And friends, this is the church that follows the Lamb wherever He goes. Do you want to follow the Lamb? If you want to follow the Lamb, I invite you to bow your heads with me. Let's have a prayer right now. Father in heaven, Father, we humbly come before you. We thank you so much for your holy word that we can read and we can study and we can come to know our Savior more and more. And we thank you, Lord, that you've laid it out very simply, uh, the, uh, uh, the process of redemption, uh, that we, through Christ, may be saved. 
Father, we wish to be a member of your family, each and every one of us. We pray, Lord, that you forgive us our sins. May our life be not just profession, uh, but may we walk by the Spirit. We pray, Lord, for the Holy Spirit to be alive in our hearts and minds each and every moment so that we may make right decisions. May we aid Jesus by that binding agent of the Holy Spirit in perfecting in us a character of righteousness. We thank you so much, Lord, for your wonderful, long-suffering and patient towards us who are too often stiff-necked and stubborn. And we pray that as you bring love into our hearts, that love that only you have, that we may be found in unity and finish this work. Please continue to bless us on this Holy Sabbath day. May we continue to have this taste of heaven that will bind us through the coming week till we meet again. We pray in Jesus' name.